Welcome to the Sunday Brunch. We have a great show for you today. Our first story we're going to talk about is how a school decided to take a mental health day because of some tragedies that they were experiencing. And we just wanted to let everybody know that this topic can be pretty triggering for some folks. We wanted to provide a resource. And uh, one of them that we highly recommend is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, And that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. Again, that phone number is 1-800-273-8255. You know, sometimes people need a little bit of extra help. And so we just wanted just to let everybody know at the top of the episode that there are resources available to you. Also on this episode, we're going to talk about the twindemic. We're going to discuss COVID-19 and the flu. We're also going to talk about a booster shot uh, that both Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are wanting emergency approval on. We're going to move on to Facebook and how the whistleblower is going to be meeting with Facebook's oversight committee and just exactly what all that means and what are some possible things that this committee could discuss. We're also going to talk about the big Epic versus Apple case and how Apple is appealing that case because they want to have the ability to have multiple payment solutions. So we're going to talk about exactly what that means. Also, California passed a law to say no more to electric lawnmowers and leaf blowers. So we're going to talk about that because, as you know, Dr. Murray lives in California and he's pretty close to that topic. All this and more is coming up on the Sunday Brunch. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sunday Brunch, a weekly news show where we ask the big questions on the week's tech, science, and medicine. I am one of your hosts, Matt, and I am, of course, joined by my good friend and co-host, Dr. Marty. How has your week been? Um, it is, it's the best question to start brunch. I'm definitely earning my living this week. <laughs> How so? Think, How so? I think I think there are more full moons in the month of October than any other month. I know that's not at all true, but it feels like every day has been a full moon this past week. <laughs> so, so what's been going on? What's been happening? Um, people are just people, you know, like you, you know, when people start to get fidgety and especially young kids in the back of the car and they keep poking their sibling and then one of them starts screaming, they're poking me. I've dealt with a lot of issues between students, between faculty, staff members, all of them. There's a lot of poking going on, but not in the fun way. And I'm, I'm losing more hair because of it. <laughs> well, I, I would agree. I think that this week, I don't know if people are starting to because, you know, it's fall, you know, we've talked about last episode, like it's fall, it's getting darker earlier. And I think people are feeling like cooped up and kind of crazy. And so I don't know what it is with people, but they're kind of sharper than they're than usual. Like, like they're kind of crabby. And I'm like, should it, should people be feeling the fall spirit? Kids are back in school. And, and I don't know, like, like I've, I'm sensing the, the, you know, the opposite in the last couple of meetings I've been in. <laughs> I think that's right. I think most of us are at our wits end at about this point in the year. Um, So to to put it into perspective, I don't remember if it was like this for everybody, like in my conversations, but for me, we didn't have any kind of break in the fall until Thanksgiving hit. Yeah. Is that true for you too? Yeah, that that was the same because did school, I think school started in September, for us, it was like yeah. August or September. Ours would start in August usually, but yeah. or, or yeah. around the beginning, you know, the Labor Day thing. A lot of people's school started right around Labor Day. But then we would have to go until November, late November, before we finally felt like, okay, we have a little respite. And then from that point until Christmas break or the holiday break, it was it was finally like, okay, this isn't so bad. I made it through another time. And then the, the spring term, while you were just exhausted from being through the school year, that spring term was easier because you had more breaks and you even had a spring break in there. You had a lot of things to carry you through until you got to summer vacation. Um, I think it was found at some point or another that that 
introducing a fall break was really important. It was important for everybody's just sense of normal mental health. And so a lot of schools do it now. Universities do it now. It's very common that universities will do it now. Uh, but, you know, when, when, when we were youngins, I don't remember that being the case. When you were in, in college, was that, do you remember fall break? Yeah, I remember fall break. I think, I don't know, like I feel, I feel when I was in elementary school and junior high and high school stuff, I mean, it was, it was sort of that dash to Halloween and it sort of marked that halfway point of you were like, okay, so as, as long as I make it there. And then in Colorado that by Halloween, we, it started snowing. So oh, that's right. You have that special relationship with. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so, yeah, you kind of had the ramp up in the first month was not great because it was when school is kicking off. So you're kind of figuring that stuff out. And then we had snow by Halloween and then and then it was really slow until Thanksgiving. And then you had your first sort of big break, essentially. So, yeah. Well, you know, and, and the other problem with the scheduling is that it doesn't take into some of the biological changes that we have. So when the, day, the daylight changes, it changes the way we have, uh, not, not just how we schedule our days, but also it affects our mental health. We hear of seasonal affective disorder. So when people have uh, fewer days with less sunlight, then that can feed into a, a propensity or a predisposition to, to experience depression. Or you can have um, episodes of increased activity like mania or, I mean, there are a lot of things that happen kind of on the, like we don't think about, but in the background of our lives as our seasons change, because we are also living creatures and we are affected by those seasonal changes. A lot of, we don't really understand. We kind of have blips to things like seasonal affective disorder. But I remember there was, there was a, a guidance counselor a guy, or someone who did that work, who I remember in high school told us that if he looked at the risk-taking behavior and the, the delinquencies that would happen in high school, it was very clear that during certain times of the year, it was much more than during other times of the year. It was very, very clear. Um, he could always predict it. Usually spring was a season of delinquency, I think is what he said. So um, all this being said is kind of a background. One of the stories that I wanted to introduce today was that- Wait, wait, I, I just wanna, I just wanna jump on that point. When I was a kid, that was the best season was fall. Because? Well, one, it was crappy outside. So that meant I wasn't asked to go outside and do something. So I could go downstairs and watch TV and my parents didn't give me any grief. So I got to watch more TV. I didn't have to go outside. And then October meant I was getting a lot of candy before Halloween. Then I had Halloween and then I ate a lot of candy afterwards. So as a introvert that didn't like natural light, that was like the best season for me. <laughs> yeah, you, can you can you maybe consider that you might be the exception and not the rule to everything, Mister Introvert? <laughs> so I always love fall, and uh, it was cooler. So I actually slept better. So yeah, it, it it really worked out for me actually. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Well, it doesn't work out for everybody. The fall break has been instituted because it's necessary, and um, whether or not this is related, but there were. Um, some events that took place at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that, that led to them this week, leading to a essentially a mental health day for the campus. They just canceled classes on a day that was asked by the, the student body uh, with the, the tragic suicide of one of their students, and an, I, I believe an attempted suicide of another student, or some, some kind of uh, events leading up to the action but not taken of, of suicide. Uh, and being on a campus when these types of things happened, and I have been on a campus where these things have happened, um, 
it is devastating to the campus. It is really devastating. Um, you, I mean, the, these are people who are in the, the, the early years of, of their life. They're just becoming adults. And uh, everybody's living communally, especially if it's a dorm-based living. It's a part of your community. Everybody feels that the whole campus mourns when it happens. And it, it's like a punch in the stomach of an institution. You, don't, you need a minute to catch your breath. And you need to have all of your mental health resources there for all of the people whose lives have been affected by this tragic event. And then if there's multiple events like this, you really do have an issue going on. Um, I don't believe that when I was when I was in a place where that happened, um, I believe there were actually a couple events in a, in a, uh, a condensed amount of time. I don't think that the day off was taken. I'm curious to see how this works, because I think if it does um, help with the campus healing. I do think that it'll be a, st a set of steps that a lot of other campuses will take when these types of things happen. So I'm so I'm kind of curious. We've seen uh, sort of these mental health days. I know in on social media platforms like LinkedIn, there have been a variety of CEOs that have been recognized um, or even quoted for being supportive of employees taking a mental health day. But it still seems like there's weirdness around this topic. Um, and I think that for a lot of employers, you take a sick day and, and you don't yeah. even talk about mental health because I think yeah. people are afraid of the perception that maybe you can't handle stress or, you know, there's instability in your life. And and I, I'm just sort of curious on your perspective on this, because I think, for, I think when I saw Zark, I'm like, this is great. Um, but do you think in other organizations, like if, if your company there's a suicide in your company maybe, or even if an employee is going through something personally, what do you think about people saying, you know, hey, I, I need a mental health day to just kind of get through whatever difficult season I'm going through? I mean, what what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think companies should provide those resources for employees, and they often do for that kind of immediate mental health need or to take a, a mental health day. I think you witness the same thing that I witnessed, and that's a little bit of doublespeak. And that's the idea that, yeah, take care of yourself, but be here. <laughs> yeah, take care of yourself, but still get your job done. Yeah, but still get your job done. And you, there is a, a little bit of a lack of, of, of candor and forthrightness that, 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 that accompanies this pandemic. Like, while we might not have the same threat of, of illness that we did before, um, our mental health has taken quite a, a hit over these past 16, 18 months, whatever it's been now, it's been quite, it's, it's been a long time. It's been very hard. We're all adjusting. We all have families that have been adjusting and friends and, and our lives have been really turned upside down by this. Um, whether or not that the, these, kind of, these kinds of events, these tragic events were the result of an intersection of the pandemic and their own struggles um, or whatever else was involved, I don't know. I mean, we can't know, but I think that there's a real need for empathy from the HR departments and those that are helping the HR departments create their policies of especially larger larger organizations like institutions like a university or, you know, if it's a large company, if it's a nonprofit, whatever it is, that that empathy is really, really needed. We need people to, to, to kind of um, walk the walk in addition to talking the talk. That's my own personal take on this because I don't think that if you keep saying, we're here for you, but then you're not really able to provide the resources for somebody or it's gonna come with consequences that really weren't worth it for that person to take advantage of in the first place. 
then you're not really acting out your values. You're not really acting out your statements. That's my opinion. Yeah, I was kind of reflecting on this article. There was a, in one of the offices that I worked at, I had a coworker who had a very, it was sort of a storybook relationship. She met her fiance through just really interesting circumstances. And uh, she had started in our office as an intern and then uh, just one of those people who you absolutely love, everyone loves working with. And her fiance attended our, our corporate holiday party, had an opportunity to meet him. Uh, really, really fantastic individual. And the following day, right after our holiday party, when, when we all met this guy, we were all very excited to meet him. We're, we're just so happy to hear about their wedding plans and, and the whole story of how they got together. The following day, he passed away in a work accident. And I just, I remember really vividly the sort of the mood of the office and my, the CIO at the time who, who I was, who I was working with. And, uh, he just didn't really, it was kind of like pull yourself up by, by your bootstraps and just continue working. I mean, there, there wasn't sort of a pause in the work to reflect what had happened so that then we could, you know, and so, and so I think that there is when, when companies face, um, or work groups or teams or, or face something like that. I, I think it's something to think about. And I think, you know, some companies have really great employee assistance programs. And I think that's that's always really, you know, I, I think it's very helpful. But I think, you know, uh, to your point, I think that when, when companies say we value your health physically and mentally, and we also value you and we're also all human beings and we go through stuff, um, I think having the option to have a mental health day, I, I, I think it's great. I mean, when I saw this, I'm like, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense. But we, when we're with our coworkers for as much as we are, we do become very close, you know, so. Yeah, I, I think that um, hopefully we'll see a change in this. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a matter of blame. It's just a matter of what kind of, what, what kind of community do we want to be to each other? So then it, it was a sad set of stories. Um, I, I do believe that this might set an example for other institutions where these kinds of events take place so that maybe maybe it is worth giving people a break. And you know, interestingly, you know, the UNC Chapel Hill hasn't had their fall break yet. They will have it in a few weeks, I think, as well. So that's an addition. This wasn't the fall break that they were planning. Um, it, it is something that they're doing additionally. So we will see how that, how that plays out. Um, in other news, uh, you know, I, I usually like to spend some time thinking about COVID Corner and- Everyone's to, favorite segment, everyone's I, favorite segment. But I, I'm thinking maybe we'll weave it through today a little bit. We don't have to hit everything at once. Uh, but I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, that everybody's getting their flu shots right now. Yeah, I uh, I think that this year, I, I don't know if, if something has changed, but the marketing and advertising for flu shots are just very prevalent, at least in my area. And big signs saying, you know, it's free, set up your appointment, we can see you in 10 minutes. So I went to my local Costco and they were great and, and, and really very fast. So, I mean, I don't know if this year they're just getting the word out um, earlier and faster and they're making it more convenient, but th there was a lot of, I received, I think like 10 emails that it was like, go out there and get your flu shot. And and here's all the locations and it doesn't cost you anything because our healthcare plan, you know, pays for it. But it was super convenient. And and I think that they really did a good job of marketing it this year. Yeah, I've noticed that. Well, okay, to be fair, back in 2020, around the same time, they had a very similar message. And I think they even used the same term, this idea of a twindemic. And this is a story that's come out of like, 
you know, experts fear a, a twindemic. Twindemic? I hate these stupid portmanteaus. <laughs> like, it's just too much sometimes. But, okay, you know what they're talking about, that, oh, I'm going to have uh, COVID and the flu at the same time, or that the world is going to deal with COVID and the flu at the same time. Now, the flu affects quite a few people. Um, and it, it can be quite deadly, especially for people who are immune compromised, uh, the, the, the elderly, the... Um, you get a particularly virulent strain. There, there are a lot of things that can happen with the flu. It can be quite nasty. Uh, and if you have COVID and the flu at the same time, then you're in trouble. Last year, I remember the marketing around it was our hospitals are going to be overrun as is. And oftentimes they also have a lot of flu cases in there. Do your healthcare workers a favor and at least get the flu vaccine. So that's not another issue. Well, okay. So now we have some studies that have been done that show that Last year, with all the the, the social uh, the public health measures, the social distancing that that was there, that the flu cases were quite small. We knew this was quite small because nobody was interacting with anyone else. I mean, if if you got sick, it was more likely to be with COVID because it was so infectious um, when it was being spread. But of course, some people did get the flu still. It just was at a much much lower rate of spread. Well, now that there are many that have been vaccinated, we have different feelings around that, depending on what region you're in, depending on your own experience, depending on just who you are, and your, the people you're around. So remember when I got sick earlier this, this summer, this hot geek summer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was the same idea. Look, people are out, they're interacting again. The same things that were plaguing us before are going to plague us before. If the flu is going to come back, which it will, we're going to have a lot more cases of the flu this year because people will be interacting a lot more than they had in previous years then we are going to have the risk of people needing to go to seek medical care for having the flu. And it's going to be tricky because flu-like symptoms can very much be COVID-like symptoms. And that is going to be a burden on our healthcare system. And so getting a flu vaccine is a good way to lessen that burden a bit. And I, I agree with the messaging. I just wish they wouldn't use such a stupid term. I really don't like it. <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's been interesting to see some people, at least, you know, just just from what little social media I've seen, is how some individuals who are anti-COVID vaccine are getting their flu vaccine, which I find that to be just sort of interesting because th th there was a is number. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. No, there, there was a number of posts over this weekend where, and, and, and of course, I don't want to I'm just reading, and, and, and of course, if it's on social media, you know, who knows? But it was a couple of these folks were posting that they trust the technology and the science of the flu well, vaccine more than the COVID vaccine. To, I was just kind of curious what your thoughts are. To be fair there, the flu vaccine has been around a long time. Um, it's something based on experience. It, you know, people have had it in their bodies for far longer, and it doesn't seem to have the the, the lack of known that, that the that the mRNA vaccine or even the adenovirus-based vaccines have. Um, another interesting point there is that some of these vaccines that are already being marketed are trying to be combined with a flu vaccine. We talked about this in earlier stories. Um, I think the seasons are going to overlap, that COVID season and flu season are going to overlap. So we're going to get in the future a dual-purpose vaccine. I think that's it too. And so this this silly neologism of a twindemic is going to probably resurface as a twindemic vaccine that will be offered in the future. And it might not be an mRNA vaccine. It might not be 
um, adenovirus based vaccine. It, it could really just be its own version of like the, I think it's Novavax was yeah. one of them that was trying to do this or uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see where that goes. So yeah, for those that are feeling a little more comfortable with it, I get it. I, I, I think that it is a little, there's a little less unknown about the flu vaccine as well. And if that's where you're happy to be vaccinated, please get vaccinated for that. Yeah. No, it was just interesting to watch these people who, you know, because I have a variety of people on my social media feed who are very, very anti-COVID vaccine, and they were posting all kinds of stuff about how they're so opposed to it. But then they're posting a picture that, hey, I got my flu shot and I got my $5 off at my local store because I got my flu shot. I was like, what? But then I saw their comments was they're like, well, this is a more trusted technology. I've heard about it, you know, and they and they kind of put, you know, their whole bullets, uh, you know, listing everything they liked about the flu vaccine and why they chose to do it and not go ahead. I mean, it was just interesting because I guess I would have assumed somebody who was anti-vaccine would be anti-vaccine all the way. But clearly that is not the case. Well, we will see. I think buying a little more time, I think we will have a COVID vaccine that is not going to be mRNA based and not adenovirus based. I think we're going to see that because the, the research is going on in those areas as well. And so... If people are comfortable or more comfortable with that, then, you know, fine, you know, get vaccinated then. That would be wonderful if you get vaccinated then. Eventually, you're going to need to be vaccinated anyway, and we're probably going to need to be seasonally vaccinated. That being said, um, that can take us into our our next round of of this booster shot uh, free-for-all, where now Moderna and Johnson & Johnson are looking to get emergency use authorization for a booster shot for both. So Moderna would be the third dose. Interestingly, Moderna is looking for a half dose because that seemed to be effective in their trials. And Johnson & Johnson would be the second dose um, in their sequence. And before it was just one dose that was okay. And when Johnson & Johnson, people were deciding earlier what, how effective it was. Um, when Johnson & Johnson was given in a two-dose sequence, it was just as effective as the mRNA. It was at 94, 95% effective. So if it's displaced by six months or so, then the Johnson & Johnson folks are like, no, we're just as good as the others. We'd see if this helps protect against further infection of whatever variant of however long it was after antibody levels depleted, if it's six months or not. I mean, they're all kind of feeding into the same story. They're feeding into the story that like the flu, there are going to be uh, there 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 is going to be a need for a, a yearly or so uh, booster or a, another vaccine for that for that season. So you know, as, as I, I'd say, get used to it. Um, what's interesting about the Moderna approach to this is that Pfizer already went through their scuffle. Uh, you know, they went through the the authorization for it. It was not a very clear. Uh, prescription of what to do, like who should get it, when should they get it. Uh, it was messy in states. I've witnessed it. I've seen this of the, the person going up to the pharmacist and saying, uh, do you have any uh, booster shots? Like, okay, are you immune compromised? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I've witnessed this or um, can I get one, please? Are you immune compromised? I'm old. Okay, that works for me. And you know, like the, the, where there had not been a clear uh, delegation or uh, uh, a set of guidelines that everybody universally followed, it was really messy. And the Pfizer dose, I think, was the same as the previous doses. So if they had extra Pfizer, they're just like, yeah, sure, take it. Um, and I've even heard of a story where someone was given the Moderna dose 
in the same way, even though that was not authorized for that, just because they had extra, like, yeah, sure, you can have this too. So it was much messier with the rollout from the Pfizer dose. That Moderna is going through the same thing is going to add a little bit more to that confusion because now you're going to have more into the into the free for all. And then the Johnson and Johnson is different because it's an adenovirus based, and they're going to need to go through that data and figure out that the booster is is recommended or not. Uh, and that one is necessary, but I'm not sure uh, what the I, I, Moderna should be okayed pretty easily. I, it's just going to be a bureaucratic step, I believe. The Johnson and Johnson, I think it will be, but we'll see how it how it how it lands. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. In Colorado, it's also been a little confusing. Like, I received an email from my local healthcare provider saying booster shots are available. Schedule your appointment online. And I called and said, I received this email. And they go, you're not eligible. And I was like, I, I yeah, I received this email. And they're like, you know, to your point, are you immune compromised? Are you a healthcare worker? It's like, no, no, no. It's like, well, then you're not eligible. I'm like, well, and it's different by each state. And yeah. so, for instance, California allows educators as first responders, as, uh, as you know, the, 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 the frontline workers, all those folks are, are given you know, the, the booster if they want it. But in other states, that's not at all the case. It's only immune coverage. So it's it's very messy right now with how this rollout has taken place. We'll see if they clean it up a little bit. Um, I'm I'm on the fence right now whether or not I'm I'm going to want a booster. Really? And, and, yeah. and why is that? Um, because, because I think the longer I can wait without getting it, then the more it will... So it's not that I wouldn't get one in general, just if I'm ready for it this season or not yet. That, that's where I am. So I might want to hold out a few more weeks. I might want to hold out another month. Um, and then there's this global component to it too. So the U.S. is kind of... We're doing our American thing right now where the, where the world's looking at us with a shortage of supplies as we're taking... We're, a lot of countries don't even have a single dose available. And we're having thirds and more. Yeah. Uh, and that part of me feels that the world has a point. Um, but I understand the other side of the argument. I don't do high risk activities. I'm a big believer that vaccination is the best way to protect ourselves. Um, if you've received the, the basic course, then you've done your job. Um, but we're still not entirely sure just how effective this is at at actually preventing disease. That data is still coming out. We haven't received a formal recommendation in general from our CDC, from our NIH. So I'm kind of waiting on that to, to, to know where to go on this. But I respect when people want to get it. I think it probably does provide some extra protection. I'm not ready to go there yet. I yeah. want to wait a few more weeks to see where this goes. Well, and didn't you, I think it was in an earlier episode, you talked about the World Health, the World Health Organization, World Health yeah. Organization, I can't talk. Yeah, and this is why I'm in podcast. Yeah, yeah. They, uh, but, but, but did you say that they also weighed in on, on the whole booster? Yeah, they don't, they don't want us doing it. I mean, the, the World Health Organization was like, please, like, give it to the countries that need it. And while it's true that this administration has made an effort to give a large amount, I don't know um, the, the, the balance of this domestic versus international, or, or that that would be donated or charitable. I don't really know, so I'm not the authority on it. I just have mixed feelings about it because it's just, it is so wildly disproportionate. Like looking at the, the excess of the United States versus those places that have zero access to anywhere, 
that's rough. Yeah. That's rough. So um, that being said, I want us to take, we started off with heavy, heavy uh, topics. Yeah. You like, usually I'm the downer on tech stories and yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll give you the chance to be the downer. (laughs) When we come back. The upper, you want me to be the upper. Yeah. Oh, the upper, whatever you want to be. We can keep keep descending into our other rings of hell. Um, Wait, is Facebook coming up after, after the break? Of course it is. (laughs) We would have it no other way. All right. Let me take us to a break. After this, after messages from our sponsor, we will be back. This week's episode is brought to you by Wet Panda Dry Bags. You know, it's pretty basic to think about dry bags, but it's so important. You know, when we're headed out to paddleboard or we're headed out to hike, um, I reach for my dry bag all the time because, you know, I have a digital camera, I have different equipment with me, and I am not always confident that my backpack is completely waterproof. So I just tuck it into my dry bag and I know that it's going to stay safe. And I even pack a wet panda bag in my gym bag because, you know, if I'm swimming, I can toss my swimming suit into the dry bag and close it up. And I know that the rest of my bag isn't going to get wet and nasty. So check out Wet Panda. They are exclusively sold on eBay. Just search Wet Panda Dry Bags and look for that panda paw. Thank you so much, Wet Panda, for your sponsorship of the Sunday Brunch. Welcome back. You know, we were talking about uh, which art, what, well, so which article we were going to uh, go into the rundown. And we, we kind of teased at the idea of uh, bringing us into Facebook land. And, you know, I think that we need to deliver. So uh, last week we talked about that it was a no good, very bad week for Facebook. And Facebook's reaction to the whistleblower, Francis Hagan, uh, was it, it was mixed last week. And this week hasn't gotten much better. Facebook has committed to making some changes to try to protect the users, which I think is sort of a half-hearted approach. But, you know, a story this week that I thought was interesting was the Facebook Oversight Board, which we've spoken about several times here on this podcast, which is a board that Facebook put together that's an independent group of a variety of people. It has journalists. uh, It has uh, academics. It kind of has a mixture of people that they've weighed in on a number of issues and they provide Input to Facebook. Um, there's some questions about what this committee can actually do uh, because it's it was formed by Facebook. This you know everyone knows Facebook is a corporation. They've created this group, but they don't really have any authority to pass fines or judgment or really anything. But they can provide some input, uh, you know, to this organization. And that oversight board invited whistleblower Francis Hagan to come and talk with them, and she accepted. And so this is a little bit interesting. And Facebook, um, you know, in this article that uh, was in CNN Business, uh, was like, you're going to go and present to Facebook's oversight board. And, and Francis Hagan said, yes, I accept the invitation. I'm going to go. Facebook did not comment on that. And so there's a lot of speculation this week about how Facebook feels that this whistleblower is going to go and present to their own committee. Uh, but you know, according to Francis, she said that Facebook has lied or has um, withheld things from this committee. 
And she feels that this would be at least at least from the article that um, this is a great opportunity for her to share her story with this committee and uh, let them know what her experience has been uh, and also discuss the variety of documents that she took out of Facebook. So it was an interesting move this week. I'm going to be curious to see how this committee feels. I can only imagine if you're a committee member in this kind of capacity uh, that it could be, it, I think it could be a little dicey. It could be a little interesting, but I think in their role that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg and representatives of Facebook have said is that th- this committee is supposed to guide us and is supposed to, is supposed to, you know, give us input on the direction of this platform. And I think her coming to talk with them, I, I hope some good comes out of it, but this committee doesn't have a whole lot of authority or teeth, but they can, you know, let Facebook know how they feel about a particular situation. So, so Marty, I was, I was, I was kind of curious about your take on this because we, because we've talked about this oversight yeah. committee before. Um, I mean, it, it's interesting that she's she's a whistleblower who worked at Facebook, then coming back after the 60 Minutes interview and everything, coming back to Facebook's oversight board. I, I just thought it was interesting, but I was curious on your take. Yeah, I, to me, it, it kind of hits like that. Um, it, it kind of exposes the the point of, of many committees, which is it's a CYA function where they have the committee to say that they're doing something without any one or number of people to be implicated. But it has more symbolic value than it actually does, uh, like productive value. And there there is a huge sense of irony for this whistleblower to go back to the committee that should be responsible for either disciplinary or preventative measures so such things don't happen for her to recommend post hoc you know what, what should have happened I, I i hope that it prompts change although i'm quite certain it won't i hope that it prompts change in how these kinds of committees are empowered because having a symbolic committee even if it it contains the best minds is just that i for somebody whose life it is to sit on committees, I know you do a number of committees as well. Terrible, um, terrible. <laughs> and a, and a Lots lot of committees. Them, and a lot of them are symbolic. They're, you, you do the work, but you don't actually have the power to enact the things you need to enact. And you kind of feel used at the end of it. You're like, so I was a what? What did you need me for? And, 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 and it kind of hits me that this might be the case. I might be speaking out of turn. But it might be the case that that's what this committee is through Facebook. And uh, I do hope that if that is, in fact, the case, that this particular scenario, this this conversation that's to be had, I will change their their structure. After her testimony and after seeing Facebook's sort of response to this, um, and, and we've seen a couple things come out of Facebook over this week and last week. You know, Mark Zuckerberg came out and was like, you know, this doesn't make sense what her testimony has to say. Why would we do this research and not want to help our users? Yet um, there was actually an academic institution that wanted to, you know, peer review the research and then Facebook shut them down. Um, it it smells funky. And then, yeah. you know, and, and and I think, you know, going back to what you said, is like, is this committee symbolic? Um, and, and maybe, maybe in its design, it was supposed to do a whole lot more, but are they getting all the information that they should have? I'm kind of curious, and I haven't seen it in any of the articles. Was the committee even aware of this research? I mean, were they, were they invested? I mean, because it sounded like from this week, Mark Zuckerberg said, well, we, well, we've created this research arm of our company. Do you invest? 
Well, did this committee review any of that? I mean, right. I, I would assume not that they were just as shocked by the research that um, came forward in the testimony. I mean, I'm just I, I'm going to be kind of curious to see, you know, what happens. And if the committee feels that, I mean, I don't see how they wouldn't feel that that Facebook, uh, you know, needs to make some changes. But I, I'm going to be curious to see what their response back. I mean, I, I think it's like a memo or something that goes back to Facebook that they'll make a letter. But um, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if you know, like you said, some of these blue ribbon committees, all they can do is say, I'm upset that you made this decision, but what is Facebook going to do? Are, are they going to change this platform? Are they going to make it better? Um, or has the system gotten so big and, you know, in, in what was said in the testimony multiple times, and I also, you know, agree with is Facebook has a history of, they care about their profits. They, yeah, they don't yeah. seem to care about their users. And this research, you know, sort of supports that claim of saying, you could have made some changes, you didn't, or even post-election, there was controls to help prevent misinformation. Then you remove those controls because you wanted more engagement. Um, it seems like what Mark Zuckerberg is saying doesn't seem to line up with what the company's been actually doing. You know, and I'm a believer that that starts at the top. I mean, that really defines right. the culture of the company. And you you might have different operating officers. You might have different folks that are being, you know, acting as chief of staff and whatnot that are that are running the show. But he he's someone who will dictate the culture. And I I know that we kind of make fun of him sometimes, as you said last week, wearing his Facebook. Uh, I was going to call them oogly glasses, but that sounds too much like googly glasses. The like creeper glasses. The creeper glasses. That's what you call them. Creeper glasses and. A top hat, and he would fit in some kind of weird uh, supervillain outfit. But you know, like it, it speaks to a certain dismissiveness that is off-putting. I'm a little annoyed. I'm, I'm bristled by it. I don't like it. Yeah, and I and and I'm starting to become a little bit more supportive of the comparison of big tobacco. It's like. You know that this platform, you know, it had problems during the election. Um, you know, these studies are coming out saying that um, it's hurting it's hurting some members of the, you know, of your user population. And I believe that there was even a comment that uh, when Big Tobacco was doing studies that they found that 10% of their, I think it was like 10% of those that were smoking cigarettes were dying. Um, Facebook made the same argument. Well, it's only a small percentage of our user base, but that's still... Uh, right. You know, a lot of people for, for a platform yeah. as big as as big as Facebook. And I think it's a problem. If you care about your users, you should look into this. You should take steps to fix it. And also, um, you know, a lot of the same arguments we made last week, you know, came to light is there is one part of it that says I'm a platform. And that's where Section 230 comes into place. And there's some protections there. And Facebook is like, I don't like Section 230. It's like, well, but is section 230 is that is that a problem but i think it's it's like we're not talking about how we're not talking so much about that piece we're talking about algorithms that sort of manipulate or or move you into the platform in a particular way um i think that that's where you know we're saying why are you leading these people and i think that that mm -hmm. also was a part mm -hmm. of the study as well and so it's like that you do have control over and mm -hmm. that is where you are getting people to engage and that's where i also think that they're making a substantial amount of money yeah well i think they just need to hire us um i'm willing to consult are you willing to consult uh well do, do, do we want our names associated with facebook though that 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 would be bad um <laughs> come up with a pseudonym or two. <laughs> um, we don't, yeah, we don't have to. Hey, I'm willing to go in a onesie. I will go as the, uh, 
as the was that the Apple thing? Uh, Tesla? Was that it was the oh, Tesla thing with the yeah, one okay, thing. Okay, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll go as the as the Tesla guy. It, um, and you can go as Elon Musk. Yeah. And we'll tell them that we're consulting. If we, if Facebook wants to hire us to be consultants, then I think we need to advocate that we do one podcast at Facebook headquarters and we can tell them exactly what's going on on the inside. <laughs> that will ensure we, that Mark Zuckerberg will never hire us or ever sponsor be, anything that we, we do. We will be popular. <laughs> we will be popular. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So speaking of Apple, because that was on my mind, what is going on with them? Why, I've heard... I've heard Good things about the, the new iPhone, by the way, but that's a separate story. It's um, it's a great phone. It's like uh, yeah, it's a peak phone. My husband actually bought the uh, the uh, latest version, and he loves it. Uh, but if you are if you had the previous version and you're moving into the new version, very little difference. But if you're moving okay. from iPhone six to that, it's it's great. But I really feel we're at peak phone. I mean, I I, I mean when I look at the specs, there's very little differences in the phones. And uh, one thing that I uh, somebody brought up that I thought was interesting was I can't remember. There's that British guy who was the designer uh, who who always say it is the thinnest phone we've ever made. Um, iPhone seems to be changing their pattern is that on the, British accents. That is a horrible British accent. Yes, uh, but one of their lead designers kept trying to make the phone thinner and thinner, and Apple seems to have navigated away from that. But I, I don't know, like how good can the camera get? I mean, I my other phone took really great pictures. My new phone takes. Uh, even better i so i don't know but I, I noticed that the last iphone picture i saw myself in made me look fat and so i'm burn a it little get get well, rid of it I, <laughs> it's because you're an android user that's why that's why i feel like it added that filter on yeah. there it was unfair green bubble it's, it's because you're a green bubble so is that what it was yeah so so it, it adds weight so yeah is it is it 15 pounds for an android user and 10 pounds for a general apple user <laughs> Because I felt like there was an extra five pounds of gut on that one. I was like, what is this? When did this happen? <laughs> had to come to terms with the pandemic, but it was really upsetting. <laughs> well, no, in Apple News, uh, for many of us, we've been sort of following this case uh, between Apple and Epic Games. And so um, if you have ever heard of the game Fortnite, which if you have children, you've probably heard about Fortnite. Uh, but but Epic Games produces a lot of a, a lot of really great games that are out there. But Fortnite being the biggest uh, massive online game that uh, a lot of people play on their phone. Uh, it's wildly successful. Uh, you know, and, and Epic Games has made a ton of money. And they got into a skirmish with Apple, and it, it resulted in them going to court. And, and Epic was was really mad about the controls that Apple has. Um, in regards to, to the App Store. So if you're not familiar with the App Store, it's if you want to download and you want to put something on your iPhone, you have to go to the App Store and Apple reviews those apps. Um, and there's a little bit of a process in which that they review everything before it goes into the store. And they take a piece of money uh, for every sale that they make. So if, you, if I buy an app for $1.99, there's a percentage that goes to Apple and then it, and then it goes to the developer. And also a part of it, and this came out in the Epic case, was if you want to sell stuff via an app that you put in the App Store, you need to use Apple's payment engine. And they also take a piece of that transaction as well. So th this has been the way that Apple has operated for a really long time. And during this case, Epic was bringing up a number of, of items saying, you know, hey, they, you know, they have this walled garden. 
and they're and they're taking you know what came out was about thirty percent out of out of every uh, you know when you buy an app they're taking thirty percent and they're also taking these transactions they're saying is this right it doesn't feel right and um, and Epic actually stopped selling in the Apple Store for a while but then you really can't put the you can't really go and get the app without having the App Store and so it created the scuffle so during this court case. Epic was arguing that this is, uh, you know, very controlling and this wall garden isn't good. Apple, on the other side, was saying, well, you know, our users uh, want a very secure environment and they want us to review these apps. They want to make sure that the apps don't have any bad stuff inside of them. And they expect that. And uh, also the App Store and the Apple consumer base you are leveraging our infrastructure and our ability to market and put these apps to this particular group of people. Very, very fair argument because Apple's maintaining this, this big ecosystem. And in regards to their payment engine, so if I want, I download somebody's app and I, I want to buy something within the app, Apple saying you need to you need to do it using the tools that we have. And so if you're an Apple user, you've probably seen that little Apple Pay where I can just tap it, I can double tap on my phone, it looks at my face and it uses the credit card that I prefer. Very easy. That is a very seamless, nice environment that we as Apple users are very used to. Um, so arguments on both sides, Epic saying it's unfair, Apple saying, well, we need this ecosystem because this is what our people expect and it's all about security and all those kind of things. So at the end of this court case, uh, the judge had a couple uh, rulings on this matter. Uh, one of the biggest components of it was uh, they ruled and said, Apple, you need to allow third-party payment engines in your store. So what this means is that if I design an app and I want to sell something, I should, uh, I don't have to use Apple's payment engine. I could use PayPal or I could use something else mm -hmm. so that people could, you know, pay for services. You know, of course, Apple was like, uh, not so much. And they have to comply with this by December 9th. Um, they decided to, you know, challenge this. So they actually appealed. Yeah, yeah, and they, they actually appealed. And, they, and they're claiming that this is a security issue, that if we open it up to other third-party payment engines, that this could be really problematic. Now, so I think on, on, on both sides, I will say Apple has a point here. So if you open apps up to third-party payment engines, then Apple really has no way of really verifying that where you're going. So if I mm -hmm. click a button that says pay now and it takes me to John Smith's payment engine, um, that might not be a really secure transaction for me as a consumer. And, you know, I'm thinking about people not as, you know, savvy as you and I uh, wouldn't know. They would just be like, I need to buy this and I need to go to this third party. I am not savvy. Yeah. <laughs> but um, versus Apple, which you see the little logo, Apple Pay, and it connects to my phone. It does well, all that kind of stuff. OK, um, I, I want to pause for a second here and ask you, are there other um, third party payment engine options that could be just as secure as Apple and have the as Apple Pay and have the track record to prove it. That sure. would then be required to yeah. say like, well, if if the if the security is equivalent, then you have to and and if because that's the whole lot I see in Apple's argument, unless. Apple is so secure that no one can hold a candle to them. No, I think, you know, there's a variety of payment providers out there. I One of the ones that 
I think has a really good case and uh, they really haven't surfaced yet because they brokered a deal with Apple. It was Amazon. Uh, if you've been in the Apple ecosystem as long as I have for a very long time, um, Amazon wasn't in like Apple TV and you and then also like if you uh, wanted to buy a book using Amazon, you couldn't really do that through the Audible app. There was all this sort of weird stuff because Amazon didn't want to use Apple's payment engine and have them take a piece of that transaction. And so it used to be like if you wanted to buy like a movie, for instance, on Amazon, the app would tell you, you can't buy this here. You have to go to our website, then buy it, and then come back on the Amazon app on your TV to even be able to watch the movie. Now, Amazon has a pay with Amazon. It's a very uh, secure system. Uh, they have relationships with, with major credit card providers. So we've seen examples. I mean, we've seen PayPal. We've seen, I mean, th there's a lot of payment engines out there to be, that makes e-commerce run. So there could be an opportunity to say, hey, you know, I, I think that before this Epic case, they probably had an opportunity to say, these are some payment engines that we will certify against but they didn't do that. They they really like their control yeah, over this. And now it's open to everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're holding the line. And yeah. I, I do see a flaw in the argument. We'll see where this goes. But I have a feeling they probably tried this argument in their original case that they lost if it was security-based. I mean, Apple does have good security as its reputation proceeds. But come on. They're not the only they're not the only game in town that way. So if, if that's really your argument, then it's gotta be exclusive. It's gotta be unique in my mind at least. Yeah, and I and, and just thinking about it, and this is just from my my little bubble, um, if I have a choice between using a third party provider and Apple Pay. I'm probably going to use Apple Pay because it's easier. So I think yeah. that for a lot of users that are Apple Pay users, it's built into the phone. It's very easy. I know what to expect. Um, the idea of me pushing another button and having it take me to some other tool that I need to put in my credit card and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's I could see some people doing it. But if you're a hardcore Apple user, I, I think that Apple Pay is just because it, take, it takes less time. So I think that, you know, I'm lazy. So I'm, it's just getting easier for me to click the button twice and have it do its thing. But no, I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, what happens um, and see if they get any sort of traction on it. And I think just the security item alone, I don't think is enough. Uh, mm -hmm. because you can develop very secure payment platforms or you can certify against particular, I mean, there is ways of doing this. Um, it does open up some level of risk and there might be some things that they could pass some standards that says, like if I go to a third party payment engine, uh, that it can be very intuitive to the user. You're being taken to this web page to process yeah, this you payment. Can do that. Yeah, yeah where, where at least it instructs the user. Uh, but it's no doubt it's going to it's going to be hard for Apple to give up control. And uh, I was surprised an appeal didn't come earlier. Uh, but yeah, it, it certainly was, uh, you know, this week it was like they filed very quickly and they're claiming security. So we're going to have to see if any of it holds water. <laughs> All right. So we've gone through Facebook. We've gone through Apple. And that leaves what other schadenfreude giant tech company story can we add for our listening pleasure today here, Matt? Uh, it's it's Microsoft, but it's a good news story, actually. Okay, okay. Um, you know, this week, uh, Microsoft shareholders uh, were pushing Microsoft on right to repair. So if you don't know what right to repair is, it's sort of a movement that has popped up over these last couple of years where you know, people want to have the ability to repair their own technology. And I, I think I think a couple things that have come out of it. One is 
just from an environmental standpoint of like this idea that we just simply throw away technology and we buy something new versus repairing it. There's a piece of that. There's also a piece of um, I should have the ability to upgrade certain components of my computers or the things that I use. And vendors have been very against right to repair. And we've seen this evolution. Uh, one of the most famous ones is like John Deere. Um, John Deere was very, very insistent that you do not work on one of their tractors. Even if you bought the tractor, you need to contact John Deere and they will send out a certified representative to come out and to repair it. And if you don't do it that way, sometimes the components won't even work because they have to be activated by a technician um, or you lose your warranty. There's all these type of items. We've also seen this with companies like Samsung, uh, where there can be uh, you know repair to refrigerator that if you you can buy the part and you can put it in, but the activation of that part to make it work in your refrigerator requires a a technician and. You know, we see this with like Apple products, we see it with Samsung, we see it with the right of that they make these phones and these technologies really thin. There's not a whole lot of screws to them, so you kind of have to bust it apart and there's a lot of glue. Um, if you ever check out the website iFixit, they actually give a repairability score that's out there. And so, really? yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and so they actually score how easily repairable it is. And so we've kind of seen this kind of bubbling up and we've also seen a number of bills uh, in several states. Uh, Colorado, unfortunately, our, our, our right to repair bill crashed and burned. It was very interesting testimony on that. Uh, but we have seen some states who are saying, if you're selling technology, we, we should be able to repair those things. Um, it like televisions. I mean, when was the last time you ever had a TV repairman out? I mean, we just get rid of them when, you know, yeah, you know when they break. That's right. That's right. So this week, Microsoft's uh, shareholders were pushing the company and said, we really want you to look into right to repair. We want the technology that Microsoft produces to be repairable or upgradable or those type of things. And Microsoft, which... I give them a lot of credit this week, uh, said, we're going to look into it. And I think that that's a great thing for them to say. Who knows if they're actually going to do it? Wait, 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 wait. You're excited about we're going to look into it. Is that the same as we're going to create a committee to look into it that, that Facebook did? Well, they said three things. They said, one, uh, we want to complete a third. This is a direct quote. Uh, and this was from Ars, uh, Ars Technica. We want to complete a third party study evaluating the environmental and social impacts associated with increasing consumer access to repair and determine new mechanisms to increase access to repair, including their Surface devices and even Xbox consoles. They said, we want to expand the ability of certain parts and repair documentation beyond the Microsoft authorized service provider network. Makes a lot of sense. And we want to initiate new mechanisms to enable and facilitate local repair options for consumers. Three statements that I think are very fair because if technology is repairable, uh, not only could like me, I, I could fix something or can my local repair shop, I don't have to send my computer back to yeah. Microsoft and wait two weeks. I could go to my local repair shop and they could do the repair for me. So I'm not, I'm not out of a laptop. And so I thought it was a, a really good move for, for Microsoft. We're going to have to see where it goes because they, they, they make a lot of very thin, very, they do. Uh, I nice, like some of their products. Yeah, yeah. really nice technology, which it's not very easy to, I mean, simple things like you and I remember, this will probably date us, but uh, batteries for our phones. We used to be able to take the back off and slap a slap a battery in our phone. And we. when was the last time you had I a- I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, we used to be able to do that. My Samsung, it was my Samsung G1. You could pop the back off and you could keep an extra battery with you. I, I haven't seen that. that. Yeah, I haven't seen one of those for forever. Um, and also a, a new company that has come out and they really have uh, hit the market uh, by storm is a company called Framework. And so if you have an opportunity to, to uh, check them out, uh, it's at frame.work. And they've produced a laptop where it is a uh, very much a right to repair, sort of a modular laptop that you can buy and build. It's very easy. It all sort of like snaps together. It's an expandable, upgradable laptop and it looks really good. And as your needs change or as components wear out or those type of things, the average user can pop out parts and put parts in and they can upgrade it. And so I think Framework has has definitely hit the technology world by storm uh, by saying, you know, we you can have a really nice looking laptop and have it be expandable and upgradable and you can even do it yourself or you can have them do it. Uh, the thing of, well, if you know, if if we open this up, that means screws and it means that they're gonna look ugly if they're repairable or expandable. Uh, you know, phones or technology uh, framework has come out and said, no, that that's that's not correct. You, you can have a really nice looking laptop that is very expandable. Matter of fact, I'm thinking about it as sort of my next I computer know. purchase. Can yeah. you please tell me what it looks like when you do it? Because I tend to make things explode when I touch them. So I'm a little worried about getting something like that. But if it <laughs> if it works like a paint by number or even an Ikea diagram to help me set it up, then I think I'd do it and I could tell people that I built this this little here computer and I'd feel very proud of myself. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, you should check it out. I mean, even the keyboards kind of snap in and they and they help you step by step. And then one of the things I thought was interesting about the Framework laptop was the ports that if all of a sudden you're like, I don't need a VGA port, what I really need is HDMI. Like yeah. a Lego, you slide it out That's and you awesome. slide the new one in. Well, it, even on one of my cheapies, I had a camera that immediately went bad. The The camera itself was bad. So I bought an additional camera for it and you can clip it on top, but it would be easier if I could just take the little, you know, the, the camera that's installed and remove it and replace it with one so that I don't have to keep on attaching another one with the USB cable to, to give myself uh, that camera capability. So, all right, I'm on board. I like this idea. I, I'm just trying to figure out how to get out of dongle hell because all of my computers, my, my, uh, and if you don't know what a dongle is, it's a adapter, a cable that connects up to, it's a really funny word. Uh, I know dongle, you had me envisioning so many things with that. Marty, dongle so, hell. I think we all told you that, that part of the spot, we, we actually can see each other. We can like live stream. He just started burst out live. I said, dongle. yes, dongle is an actual word. It's an adapter that you plug into your computer so it can connect to other stuff. But when I say I'm in dongle hell, I pack a small bag of these stupid dongles because if I need to connect to a projector, I need one adapter for that. If I need to connect like a USB stick, I need another adapter for that. And then I have my Windows laptop and it has very specific adapters and charging cables and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the amount of just junk I have to carry with me to make all my stuff work and connect to other stuff is ridiculous. And so, and so yeah, I, I, I re really wish that there could be some very clear standards, but I don't know. In the land of laptop, it's all about sleek and new and new connections. All right, there we go. There's there's our grumpy old man comment. Very grumpy. Um, all right, we have gone through relatively few stories, but have taken up quite a bit of your time today. And wait, so wait, wait, wait. I, I got to bring this up, though. I got to bring up one more story. I know what you're going to bring up. I'm, I'm going to bring it up. This. I'm going to bring it up. California yeah. said that they want to pass a law that they want to ban gas-powered, was it, lawnmowers and leaf, leaf blowers, blowers under yeah. their new law. 
Yeah. As a proud California citizen, Marty, what do you think about this? I'm all with that. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, you don't have okay. a yard. <laughs> I don't care. Um, okay, so this is actually the first I had heard of this law, even though I probably saw it introduced in some measure somewhere, or maybe not. No, this was this went straight through the assembly. This was not uh, not something that we voted on. Um, we are we are the more environmentally progressive state in some ways. It's interesting if you live here, you'll see something like Colorado is actually much more recycly friendly and uh, we are very recycling people tend to care more uh in their everyday practices but california tends to do for show um the amount of carbon that's emitted from these from these leaf blowers and and lawnmowers is quite large um it does a lot of damage individually just a small machine is is a heavy polluter so uh, from what i gather so with that knowledge uh, I think that just like having auto emissions, which California, I believe, was one of the first in the country to to require that you have a certain low level emitting fuel vehicle. I'm, I'm, I just mixed fuel and vehicle. Uh, a, a low level. You are emitting, a podcaster too. Remember that. I, <laughs> a fuel. It, it sounds like a fudgical now. Um, a a fuel uh, that that emits low levels of, of, of carbon emissions. I kind of see it in the same vein. I, I think that is probably one of those things that is overdue, but I don't want to let my California arrogance get too far ahead of me. And I would probably read more into this, but I know Matt, you were trying to pull that narrative where I am the full of myself, all kinds of smug Californian that agrees that uh, whatever measures are taken to regulate your way of life are going too far. I know that's where this is going. Does your fuel coal need a dongle? Is that is that needed? Um, fuel coals and dongles are part of the same <laughs> same order and family, but different genus and species. Uh, no, I I was you know I was very you know very hopeful with this, and and like you said, when it came to California emission standards. Um, it really changed the auto industry, and and we all comply with those standards essentially. Because if you want to sell cars in California, it, you know it needs to needs to meet that. I think you know I have a number. I have an electric lawnmower, and full disclosure, I also have an electric uh, leaf blower. And I recently bought uh, last week an electric snowblower. And the technology has come a long way. Um, it is much better than the first generation electric uh, lawnmowers that you had to plug in and then and then you know kind of wrestle with the cords and and the battery technology has gotten a lot better. I I think it like you said these old gas lawnmowers, gas weed eaters, those type of things, um, they are not the greatest. Uh, They're terrible. They, the, Do you did you yeah. ever have to mow the lawn as a kid? Oh yeah, all the time. Yeah, I remember how much it stunk. I don't know how much how many gas vapors I inhaled while I was walking with this lawnmower above my head and just pushing it, you know, as as any twelve year old kid has to to make a few extra bucks around their house. Oh, it was awful. And we had special gas cans because the mower yeah. was yeah. one thing. The weed eater was the gas and oil mixture. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think it's time. I, I mean, I when I read it, I was like. It, it makes sense, and I think uh, it pushes the industry in a direction. It, and I mean, we're seeing electric cars. We're seeing a lot of electric appliances out there. Um, I, I I think that it's. I mean, it's gotten to that point where um, I, I'm going to be curious to see kind of how it works. But I don't think it's a big leap, and I think that the battery technology has come along. Um, 
you know, where on the consumer side of things, I think it's it's very easy. The barrier to entry makes a lot of sense. Now, one thing that I um, thinking about, and I didn't read this in the law, and I and I probably should have, but it was more concerning about the commercial side of things. So lawnmowers, like those big commercial lawnmowers for golf courses or mm-hmm. for landscaping companies, those type of things. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a good large size electric mower for those type right, of things. Right, so, right, right, right. So, so I'm, I'm hoping that uh, when this law passed that it took some of that into consideration. But I think on the consumer side, it's like, you know, those people that have them can have them. And then when they break to replace them with electric, I, I, the technology has come far enough. Yeah. But on the commercial yeah. side, I don't know if an electric blower for landscapers that are using it all day, every day, if it's going to have enough oomph to be able to, to be able to really last like a gas bar. But it's, I'm, I, I, California is very, they're very much leaders in this space. We're and so we're interested to see it. Yeah. Probably so. Um, I thought you were going to make fun of us. So I was getting all defensive. No, no. That. I wasn't. I, I, I was for you. I, I'm very excited to try my new uh, electric snowblower. So I'm really excited right. about that. All right. Well, I can't wait to see that in action <laughs> from my computer screen because I will not be in it. And if Ego wants to sponsor our podcast, please contact us at. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. As always. Thank you for joining us for another week of your favorite uh, science, tech, and medicine podcast. Uh, we're always glad to have you, always glad to hear your comments, always glad to have you subscribe. Um, remember to pay attention to how to get in touch with us after the show. And as always, eat some brunch and go ahead and change the world. Thanks for listening to The Sunday Brunch. Before we go, show some love to our podcast by leaving us a review. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can check out our website at sundaybrunchpodcast.org. You can also reach out to the podcast via email at thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. That email address again is thesundaybrunchpod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail, and this is for U.S. callers only, at area code 970-627-7445. Again, that phone number is 970-627-7445. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us next week.